SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Live from Sin City. Vegas, baby, Vegas! It's Vegas Sportsbook Radio with Brian Blessing. I'm a soul man. All right, folks, how you doing? Here on a Wednesday in Las Vegas, it's Brian Blessing. Glad to be with you, Sportsbook Radio. Lunchtime with line makers with you for the next two hours. And we're going to have some great fun today with you on the Sports Grid Radio Network and on Sirius Channel 204, getting closer and closer to the conference championship games. We're looking forward to that. And in uh, the first hour, we'll be joined by Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. Hour number two, always a great guest, Jeff Sherman from the Superbook. They're hard at work getting ready. They're going to be putting 400 props up for the proverbial big game. So their work starts, it's already started in earnest with general game props. But once they know the matchups, uh, they'll get to work on Sunday night and they start seeping out. And then usually by the end of the week, Thursday or Friday, 400 props are up for the Super Bowl. It's always an exciting time of year in Las Vegas. Mark Lawrence, Playbook.com will also join us. And of course, our good pal Stevie Slapshot will be on board. As we get the fun underway, our producer Chris Bavona back in New York is uh, alongside. And it was funny, Philip Rivers retires, 17-year career, you know, one year with the Colts, all those years with the Chargers. Fiery guy, chirps the opposition. I mean, it's funny, I'm looking at Rivers and you think back to the very beginning and I was kind of thinking if, if you were a little bit Chris in New York, hmm. he was almost a New York giant. If we remember how that all went down, what a wild deal that was and how it worked out for, for everybody. Eli Manning eventually gets there. And they do win Super Bowls with Eli Manning. So I actually remember I was a sophomore in college uh, during that NFL draft. And I was at a friend's house and we were watching a little bit of it. And the second that Eli Manning got drafted by the Chargers, even before anyone said anything, uh, he, my friend goes to me, he's like, you know he's not going to play for the Chargers, right? I'm like, oh, why? He's like, it's just not going to happen. And then when they moved down, you started hearing a little bit more about that happening, about saying, like, you know, he's not going to play for the Chargers. Then the Giants drafted Phillip Rivers, and my buddy goes to me, he's like, give it a few minutes, that's going to be the trade. You guys are getting Eli Manning. And soon enough, we find out that was the trade. And I personally... If I had found out if if Rivers was our quarterback and it wasn't Eli Manning, I probably would have been okay with that. Um, I I always liked Rivers as a player. I, I mean, I thought he was a bit of a pain, you know. But at the same time, would we have won the two Super Bowls? You know that we'll never we'll never know. But at the same time, I'm happy we got Eli Manning because of those two Super Bowls. You know. So at the end of the day, when you sit back and you look at these things, I'm always torn when it comes to you know the Hall of Fame. Uh, on some guys, and I think far too often a lot more stock is put in having to have won the whole thing, you know, for an individual. He never won a Super Bowl, and that will be the the coin flip for a lot of people. Is Philip Rivers a Hall of Fame quarterback? He is, easily. I think absolutely he's a Hall of Fame quarterback. It's so hard to win a Super Bowl, let alone two, you know? I, I think Rivers did enough for San Diego slash Los Angeles. You know, they were always competitive. They maybe they didn't, never got to the Super Bowl, but they were always they were always there. They were always a part of the equation, and they were always a contender. 
Yeah, man, they were always there. But there was a perception of Rivers. I mean, he could do unbelievable things, and he could put up big numbers. A lot of it, yeah, and maybe it was just a function of who he was surrounded by, but it just seemed like a lot of the time he was always having to do it by himself. And it was like, was he trying to do too much? Well, it was so him and Ladanian Tomlinson. Yeah. You got to remember, it's, he, Rivers, to me, is, our gen, is my generation's Dan Marino. Not as nice of a guy, but you know, at least uh, at least stats wise. You know, the funny thing is, I was the beat reporter for the Bills basically for fourteen years, out there every day, the Super Bowl runs, all all those years. And it's funny you mentioned Dan Marino. I mean, he despises everything about Buffalo. I mean, you think of the career Marino had. It, you know, as as a kid growing up, and we were, as a Bills fan. The entire 70s, the Dolphins beat the Bills for an entire decade. And then they finally exercised those demons. And, you know, they got even. And, you know, the guy whose expense it was at was Dan Marino's because Marino comes out of the gate. They get to a, a Super Bowl. After that, the Bills single-handedly denied him the opportunity to ever go again. So it, it's crazy when you you talk about the Hall of Fame and putting numbers up like that. I, I, do you agree with that, that they just so often when they're when they're hanging – their hat on making a choice, it's by how many Super Bowls a guy won. I mean, he could have numbers to the moon, but they hold it against him, and guys get in because they won or guys don't get in because they didn't. Yes and no. I I, I mean it in that, yes, everybody's always going to say, well, they never, they never won or they never even got to the championship. But at the same time, if that really was the case – Look at it. Look at any other um, any other sport. You know, would Patrick Ewing be in the Hall of Fame? Would Charles Barkley be in the Hall of Fame in the NBA? You know, would uh, again would Dan Marino be in the in the Hall of Fame? Of course he would be. Yeah. Would Jim Kelly be in the Hall of Fame? I think of course these guys absolutely because they were great players in the league. Whether or not they lost, it's not necessarily all their fault. It's a great point. And the crazy thing is, though, even a guy like Philip Rivers, you know, when a guy like this retires, you sit there and you look in the mirror going, oh, my God, I'm 17 years older. This <laughs> is how fast time flies. But anyway, a great career for Philip Rivers. He retires. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a timeout. We're going to come back. Bruce Marshall, one of our favorite guests, a fountain of information. He's going to join us. Lunchtime with the Linemakers, Sportsbook Radio. We're off to the races. Glad you're with us here on the Sports Grid Radio Network and Sirius 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, folks, back with you in Las Vegas. Brian Blessing, Sportsbook Radio, Series Channel 204. We'll be with you here on the Sports Grid Radio Network. And it's always a treat for me when Bruce Marshall from the legendary publication, The Gold Sheet, checks in. Great information looking ahead, and we always have fun looking back with some, you know, historic footnotes on big games. Championship Sunday, Bruce, is a great day of football over the years. You know, knowing what's on the line, uh, that that winning team is off to the big game. Uh, there's special moments. You got some favorites? Well, yeah, for this year, Brian, I think we, we go back to the very first Super Bowl. 
uh, because you've got three of the four teams that were involved in the uh, semifinals that year in what was then the AFL and NFL championship games who were playing this year. And, of course, it's a rematch in the AFC, which we also saw in the early 90s between the Chiefs and Bills. But this goes back to the 66th AFL title game, and it was Bills-Chiefs. That one was an old war memorial stadium in Buffalo, a place you're very familiar with. Uh, or were familiar with, but it was still up and before it was uh, torn down. And uh, at the Cotton Bowl, you saw Dallas and Green Bay in the second game. Now, here, here in the NFL title game, what people, a lot of people forget because of all the uh, hype, the next year, the Ice Bowl, the 67 NFL title game got. The 66 game was probably every bit as good as the, the Ice Bowl. In fact, it was probably a better game to watch and had an ending just as dramatic. But it's been kind of pushed away in the uh, uh, in, in the history books behind the ice, well, because of the climactic conditions and all with 67 at Lambeau Field. But the 66 NFL title game was great. That was Green Bay against Dallas, and of course we got a chance for a Green Bay Kansas City rematch in the uh, Super Bowl. And by the way, that's the only Super Bowl I attended was the first one. I was in grade school at the time, but that is the only one I've been to was Super Bowl one. Well, it's funny, you mentioned the Bills, um, and I had mentioned to uh, Chris Bavona, our producer, 14 years I was the beat reporter for the Bills in the 80s and 90s, and, uh, you know, a long-suffering, different when you're working, right? You're covering the team, but, I mean, I grew up uh, rooting for the Bills and all the years of suffering, and never forget, it was over at halftime, but the the AFC Championship game, I mean, the Bills just blew the Raiders right out of Rich Stadium at the time. And I remember being out on the photography deck. I, I wasn't even in the press box, went outside because it was just a, such an unbelievable experience. But there's that realization. I, I looked at it. He's one of my best friends, one of the main cameramen at the TV station I'm working at at the time. And I looked at him after about the fourth touchdown, halfway through the second quarter, and I looked at him and go, Brother, we're going to the Super Bowl, and it's like that. I never forget that moment, and you know, imagine these players when when that moment comes and you get the opportunity. Just how big a moment it is, where instantly your focus goes to the big game. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fifty-three. I wasn't a greater fan for loving Buffalo, run score up that day. Me growing up a Denver fan, nothing quite like seventy-seven and the pinnacle of the Orange Crush mania that year was actually on New Year's Day that year, uh, in 1966, it fell on a Sunday, so the bowl games were played on a Monday, and they played the pro games on the Sunday, and they beat the uh, Raiders 20-17 to in a game I remember vividly. I had to listen to Raiders fans forever complain about Rob Lytle's fumble that they didn't call. <laughs> I have to remind them that, you know, Jack Dolbin scored a touchdown for Denver later in that third quarter that they didn't call, and uh, uh, which uh, would have been, had replay been around, they would have given Denver a touchdown. But nobody ever talks about that. They only talk about the Lytle fumble. So I always figure that evened it out in my mind. But yeah, that was a big thrill for me. Uh, 1970, so January 1st, 78, yeah. The amazing thing about usually the Super Bowl or even the conference championship games, there are always like the Hollywood subplots. There's always some hook there. And the irony from the Buffalo side of things, the last time they went to the Super Bowl to win the Super Bowl, the AFC Championship game, the Bills beat the Chiefs and Joe Montana. And if they're to get to the Super Bowl, it would be a 30-year anniversary 
of going back to Tampa Bay where they lost Super Bowl 25 on the Scott Norwood wide right. So the, there's a lot of like little tentacles for, for Bill's people who remember those moments, but it was we're talking 30 years ago. Yeah, there's there's uh, all these little intersections there uh, from history, and you know, you've also got a chance on the other side where Bucks can beat the Packers. Um, they'll be the first team to actually host uh, the Super Bowl in their home field. Um, now there have been a couple Super Bowls in the in the cities and areas of the home teams. Rams played a Super Bowl in the Rose Bowl, the '79 Rams, and uh, the 49ers played the uh, Dolphins in the Super Bowl at the 84 season at Stanford in Palo Alto, but they both nearby the home stadiums, but not quite. So Tampa Bay has a chance to be the first team to actually play a Super Bowl on its home field. And there's a whole Brady thing, and of course, Buffalo well, would be angry well, 30 years ago. Uh, the funny thing is, though, Bruce, when, when you're, you know, you talk about, well, sample size, well, 0-54 is a pretty good sample size. Yes, you think it would have happened once, but it hasn't uh, hasn't happened uh, yet. But it could this year, and it might. If the Bucks lose, it won't happen this year either. So we'll see. We'll see what goes. Let's update the numbers, and we're both games, Bruce. Kind of locked on three at the moment. Funny thing is, I can see the Packers game possibly getting back to three and a half at some point. And mostly it would be, let's see what the weather looks like when you get to the weekend. And if Mahomes in warm-ups or whatever is running around and looking great, there could be a flood of late Kansas City money. But for the most part, it's compelling on paper. Two competitive games with the games locked on three. Well, if there's if there's a more definitive word on Mahomes uh, before Sunday, that, that number is going to move a little bit. Um, and uh, I talked to some odds makers too on Sunday night who said if they knew Mahomes was in this game, and I think you talked to some people too, uh, they would have opened this thing, uh, Kansas City, four and a half. Um, but if they knew if they knew Mahomes was out, uh, you thought Buffalo might be a, a one-point favorite because uh, it was going to be Henny. So I think it's sort of sitting in that middle area right now waiting to see what uh, happens. Um there's, the thought is Mahomes probably plays, but there's not a definitive word yet. Concussions are strange things. Uh, and, and there's also the matter, and this, is, this wouldn't keep him out, but uh, that the toe injury he's got, if that's turf toe, and he seemed to aggravate oh boy. that right before uh, you know the concussion last week, uh, that's something he's got to think about, that Chiefs have got to think about too. So he's not going to be 100% uh, either with his wheel, one of his wheels, or with the concussion stuff. And the concussion stuff is dicey these days. I mean, it, it, he's probably there, but there's no official word yet. But I think once that's clear, if, if it gets clear before the kickoff, that would be the thing that would move one of the numbers. I'd be shocked if he didn't give it a go. Um, you know, you got to protect yourself. And, you know, you think of the long-term ramifications of this. But it's an independent person that, quote-unquote, supposed to make the decision. But I'm with you, Bruce. I said it from day one, uh, or right after you are watching the game. That turf toe thing, is he was – you know, gimpy during the game, but that's when he was warmed up and loose. If it is turf toe, Bruce, that's a thing that keeps guys out five, six weeks. And I mean, can just and it's just so tough to recover from. Yeah, and you could tell there was a play shortly before he got KO'd in the game where 
he uh, re-aggravated that toe, and he was walking very, very gingerly. In fact, you know, when he first went down uh, on that play, I thought, oh, he he hurt the the toe again, but uh, he took a mm-hmm. he took a blow. He 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 looked like a, a Trevor Burbick trying to get up from getting knocked in by Mike Tyson. <laughs> well, you know, when Tyson you, won the title. You know. Well, you you bring up a great point, and and we'll dive more into the turf toe thing. Uh, we, I've got a break here, but I. It's funny when you look. It wasn't like there was this blow to the head, but it, it was more along the lines of a boxer getting punched in the ear, and he he lost his equilibrium. Whether it was an actual concussion or not, we're not doctors. We don't know. But I think the toes the big thing. I think you're spot on with that. We're gonna dive into these games, break them down from a wagering perspective. Next segment right here, Sportsbook Radio, Sports Grid Radio Network, and Sirius 204. <laughs> SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back with you on Sportsbook Radio. SportsGrid Radio Network Series Channel 204. Brian Blessing, glad to be with you. Don't forget, in our second hour, good stuff. Jeff Sherman, great odds maker from the Superbook over at the Westgate. We'll check in along with our buddy Mark Lawrence from Playbook.com. But we're having fun in hour number one with Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet, a legendary publication, a man who was at Super Bowl one. That, that's the one thing, Bruce, that uh, th- there's pros and cons. It really sucks getting old. But we remember all the Super Bowls, and we remember all the championship games. Um, and then we call back on those old memories, and we got some of that from you in segment number one. But for this weekend, two compelling games, really interesting side plots, and most a lot of it revolves around the quarterbacks. But we start with, you know, Rodgers and Brady, and does it get much better than that? Packers three, totals 51. Let's just start with the Bucks and Brady in particular, Bruce. It made complete sense to me. We talked throughout the summer months. You know, this guy is going to go, and he'll know what to do and how to do it and work with what he's got. But I think there was a true transition stage, even for a guy like Tom Brady. And then on top of it, you bring Antonio Brown into the mix in the back third of the season. Well, they're up to speed now, man. I mean, they're on the same page. He knows his team, and Arians knows his quarterback. They had their ups and downs. This is a team that's now on the right track together with Tom Brady at the helm. That's a pretty dangerous combination. Yeah, it is. You know, and you mentioned in the first segment about the Joe Montana and the the Chiefs, and this all season long has sort of reminded me of that a little bit. But the Chiefs will be sure to get into the Super Bowl. Maybe the Bucks won't. We'll see. But you're right. It always figured to be a work in progress this season. A little bit more because there was no preseason really. And uh, or no preseason, actually, there wasn't. And so when they played that first game against the Saints back in mid-September, that was the first time they got on the field. And the fact they added these pieces, uh, Fournette also came in after the season started. Brown came in a little bit later. But it always figured to be a work in progress for this offense because getting used to some of these new faces, some that came in after the season began, the new quarterback and the new terminology. Gronk, of course, had taken a year off, and then he showed up before the season started as well to make his comeback so it all figured that uh, I think the master plan was they were hoping down there by December this whole thing might come together and it seems to have done that and at the in, in the process here they have developed 
and identity on offense, which really revolves around the run first. And uh, it's Ronald Jones and it's Fournette. Now, I would also watch Jones' uh, quad injury, which could also have some problems in the cold this week. But here's where Fournette could come in, and Fournette has been a very good contributor for them as the season has progressed. And Tampa Bay has been running the ball very, very well. It has helped everything Brady wants to do, the play action and all. It's been much, much uh, more effective and will be more effective uh, with uh, the running game going the way it is. The Packers did an okay job against the Rams uh, last week. I thought the Rams' play calling was a little dicey at times. But th- this is not a great Green Bay rush defense. And it did allow about 4 point, has allowed about 4.7 per carry. That's not great. These teams did meet in mid-October as well. And uh, Tampa Bay won that one in a route 38 to weird game. And uh, Green Bay had a 10-0 lead. Green Bay was off its eye in that game. But the thing turned inside out in the uh, second quarter in that game when Tampa Bay scored 28 points in a row. Two quick interceptions off Brady uh, turned uh, turned thing around. And uh, two off of Rockers, I'm sorry. One of those went for a pick six. And the Packers, suddenly, like a six-year-old in the wave pool at uh, Bush Gardens Adventure Island Park, they were suddenly underwater. And they never got up to the surface again. And they lost 38-10. And that was Rodgers' worst game of the season. And uh, Tampa Bay also ran that game pretty well. So that's something to think about here, too, that this first meeting was uh, so lopsided, although that was three months ago, and that was also in Tampa, and this one is in Lambeau. Okay. Uh, I was going to go down this road with all the breakdowns, and we can go player by player and all these things. And I'm wondering if there's not a real simple thing and if there's not enough stock that's put in it that we're not considering. Lambeau Field, cold, maybe flurries in the game. and But we don't know until you get there. We saw that in the Bills game, how the weather just exploded with the wind. But I'm just looking at Tampa Bay, Bruce. Throw September out because September's nice. But you look at these guys, Tampa Bay, a Florida-based team, on the road. Okay, even if you went to October, October 8th, they lost 2019 at the Bears. But beyond that, indoors at the Raiders, they beat the Giants uh, November 2nd, 25-23. The weather, you know, not, not hideous. At Carolina, at Atlanta indoors, at Detroit indoors, and then they, they just beat Washington. I mean, they have not played in a cold-weather game, to be honest, this entire season. And Green Bay's up there dancing around in the snow in Boat Race, Tennessee. They practice in this stuff. How big an edge. And all their football players, and a lot of these guys are from the north. And I, Yeah, their blood's warm. They've been in Tampa this whole year. How big a factor might the cold and the weather be for Tampa Bay? Well, it could be. Um, and, you know, Green Bay did play played in this. Uh, it wasn't that bad last week versus the Rams. Uh, um, it, it was, it was cold, but not the snow like you had in the Tennessee game, but they handled it very well. Tennessee was a very uh, mentally, I don't think, was in that game that week uh, as well. But uh, you're right. Uh, now, the Packers, now the cold, they got a bubble up there. They practice inside, too, so they're not practicing in the, in the cold stuff. They're inside, too, but they do live in but, it. But they can if they want to. <laughs> they could, yeah, they, they can if they want, but they live in it, which is different. Now, Brady has played in a lot of cold games in his career. Now, he hasn't uh, this year. As much. I do recall similar arguments back in 02 when uh, 
Atlanta and Michael Vick went up there uh, to Green Bay. And at that point, the Packers hadn't lost a playoff game at, at the Lambeau. And that was the big thing. And Atlanta won that game 27-7. So it, it can, but I think I think Tampa Bay uh, will uh, be able to uh, handle especially since Brady has played in the, uh, the cold a lot. I mean, that game a couple of years ago in Kansas City was frigid uh, that uh, New England won in the uh, AFC title game. That was just Brady, not the rest of this team. But uh, uh, it's always a, a factor. So, yeah, you consider that Green Bay is tough enough to beat in a, on a, on a regular conditions at home. So uh, you'd figure maybe this does help them a little bit. Okay, Tampa Bay's defense, great recipe for success. Win the turnover battle. Give your offense a short field. That's what they did indoors against New Orleans and Drew Brees. But we're talking about a completely different kettle of fish here, Bruce, with the MVP in the league this year, Rodgers, who's more than willing to stretch the field regardless of the weather conditions. But the big difference is his mobility, where you know Breeze was a stationary target who also couldn't stretch the field. This is a completely different animal for the Bucks defense. Yeah, it was. I, I still think, again, it comes down to the old stuff we're talking about on the Tampa Bay side. We talked about running the ball, and we'll talk about it on Green Bay side, too, because I actually think Aaron Jones really helps make everything go for Rodgers, too. And, and Green Bay doesn't want to go one-dimensional here. Uh, if it can help, it, that would certainly be a plus for Rodgers to have the running game working, which it didn't work too well the first time. It's worth noting Tampa Bay's rush defense was ranked tops in the league, only 80.6 yards per game. That's very tight the, the, uh, at the top of the NFL rushing stats. They were the best. And Green Bay didn't get much going the first game. And uh, Rodgers, that was the only game of the year. He did not throw a touchdown pass. And he uh, also was under 50% completions. Now, maybe throw that whole thing out. But they did have a recipe that worked a bit on Rodgers the first time. And I dare say it started from slowing the running game down. So you do that, even a guy like Rodgers is going to be less effective if he is one-dimensional. So I actually think it all starts with uh, establishing well, the running and, game. Well, and on top of it, on top of it, Bruce, it is now – kind of a freight train because you've got Aaron Jones but they bring Jamal Williams in and he's been every bit as effective and now you're bringing the power back Dylan in who's just been an eye opener in the last month and so when you've got a running game and all of a sudden play action becomes an even bigger threat with a guy like Rodgers Green Bay couldn't be coming in playing any better or have it set up any better for them than right now yeah, I mean, the, the, the running game has got other dimensions, too. So I, I think that's the the real key here on, on, on both sides. Who's going to be able to run? And, and Green Bay, uh, in the second half, the first play, the first series there, Jones had that long run this last week. Uh, you're right, Dylan has run well, the D.C. rookie, and you've got Williams, too. So they can have different guys. It's those first down, down runs. And when they're gaining five, six yards in the first down, it certainly makes everything easier for Rodgers. He seems to be able to find the – if it's a short yardage situation, he can always go to the air for four or five yards and get the first down. So I think the, the running game is going to be crucial both ways, especially for Green Bay. And a total of 51. Man. I mean, both totals in both of these games, it's pretty interesting. Brady, Rodgers, and weapons. I mean, 51 is certainly reasonable, but the weather is what we don't know, and we won't know until game day. Yeah, and we pick us at the goal sheet slightly under. And by the way, we went with Tampa Bay to win this thing. We took a 26-23 Tampa Bay. I'm I'm still not 
I'm convinced this is a great Green Bay team. Um, and I want one other note here: the schedules this year. Um, I don't want to minimize a team that's that's won as much as Green Bay did, but the schedule broke pretty well for them. They hit some teams at the right time when they they saw them in the Tennessee game. It wasn't the best effort from Tennessee to hit the Saints early in the year when they're having a few issues. Um, Tampa Bay's really run a gauntlet this year, and they've been winning uh, these first uh, couple playoff games on the road, and uh, uh, had a. Well, uh, a pretty tough schedule to get through, so I, I kind of like that angle for Tampa Bay, too. All right, Bruce. We'll see if the Bucks can indeed pull it off. We're going to talk about the Bills and the Chief, and that's coming up next. Keep it right here. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Back with you here on a Wednesday in Las Vegas on Sportsbook Radio Lunchtime with the linemakers. Brian Blessing joined by Bruce Marshall from the Gold Sheet. Happy to be with you here on the Sports Grid Radio Network and on Sirius Channel 204. And let's swing to the uh, other game and dive into it a little bit, Bruce, with the Bills at the Chiefs. And the Chiefs a three-point favorite, and the total on the game is 53-and-a-half. The one thing I would say, both of these games are rematches, and I'm inclined to throw both of the first games out Green Bay's up 10 nothing. Then it was a runaway freight train, 28 unanswered from the Bucks. It was a goofy game long time ago. Green Bay's one bad day at the office, throw it out. But the Bills and the Chiefs played, Bruce, and I'm throwing that game out too. And you're, you're looking at a game that the final score was 26-17. to 17. And it was on October 19th. And I... I listen to everybody that talks about that game like the Chiefs beat them 72-3. to You know, the Chiefs ran it down their throat. They tacked on a field goal at the tail end. Buffalo couldn't play any worse, but they had a chance to get the ball back with five minutes to go down six. Mahomes makes two great plays on third down, and they win the game. But in that game, Allen was hurt. He still had the shoulder problem that no one wanted to talk about, and to their credit, they never used that as an excuse, nor did he. But inside the game, Bruce, the real difference with the Bills coming in here is this defense has finally caught up to where they were a couple of years ago. I mean, they've been a top-five defense. This year, the defense was sketchy the first half of the year, and it revolved around two guys. When Matt Milano is in there, the Bills are 12-0. and He's great against the run. He will also draw Kelsey on the assignment. But the bigger difference, Edwards Hilaire ain't running around here, but it's Tremaine Edmonds, Bruce. He had a bum shoulder and was playing basically with one arm for the first half of the season, and he couldn't wrap up and tackle. The guy is a tackling machine. He didn't get healthy until their bye week, and since the bye week, Tremaine Edmonds is playing at a Pro Bowl level. So there's a lot of things in that first game that flat out don't apply in this game. Yeah, and and, and the other thing, too, you're right. I mean, the, the Allen shoulder, he had a few weeks there where he was uh, laboring, and um, 
the, the previous game against Tennessee, the subsequent game against uh, the Jets, those are the three lowest scoring Buffalo games of the year. Also, uh, the Tennessee game, we got to remember back to mid-October, uh, there were some real scheduling issues all involving the Titans at that point. They messed up several teams with their when, when they uh, had the COVID, including Pittsburgh, which lost a chance at a real bye yes. week there. But well, so that, this... forgive me, forgive me for interrupting, yeah. but just on that Tennessee thing, the the, the yeah. crazy thing, and it sounds it's an excuse. You know, you got to go out and play. If you're good enough, you overcome it. But a Allen was hurt. But then they were playing Tennessee, and they didn't even know if that game was going to go off. Right. And, so, and then they were supposed to play the Chiefs on the subsequent Thursday. So the week leading up to the Tennessee game, they were preparing for Tennessee and Kansas City because they didn't know if they were even going to play the Tennessee game. And then they played Tennessee, who was coming off a two-week uh, bye, and mad at the world because they were getting blamed for the COVID thing. Yes, it's an excuse, but the, 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 those two games for the Bills, plus Allen was hurt, there was just a whole heck of a lot going on. Yeah, it turned the schedule inside out. So then you have this Tennessee game, which gets – we didn't know if it was even going to get played. All of a sudden, it's going to get played on a Tuesday. So the Thursday game with the Chiefs had to be pushed back to the following Monday. And if you remember, that was one of the two games. So this was the earlier game uh, with the Bills and the Chiefs. And the, the night game was the Cowboys and the Cardinals. So it was and it was crummy strange. weather. And it was a damp, drizzly. It was not, not really nice. And it just that whole period, I throw out those whole few weeks for the Bills. I just it, and Like you said, Milano missed that game. Allen lost 100%. So I would completely throw those out. All right. And the Chiefs, listen. You know, great teams find ways to win games when they don't play their best. You can say that that's been Kansas City this entire year. They they just they let teams hang around or backdoor covers would come into play, but to their credit, they won the games. Yeah, they did. I mean, they've, I it sounds serious nitpicking here uh, for a team that won fifteen to seventeen for some of the stuff I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> this week about him, but I pointed that out. I said, yeah, you know, they did win, but there, there was a pattern to their wins where I, I don't know that they played really 60 minutes of Chiefs football. Not even, not, that, not the first Buffalo game even. Maybe the Ravens game, the Monday night, week three, uh, September 28th up in uh, Baltimore. Um, but in, you know, their last nine games, they have not covered the point spread. Now, I, I maintain that last week, that game had sort of already turned around. When when uh, Mahomes got hurt, they started to lose some momentum, and that had that's been their pattern the second half of the season. They're at, they've won uh, eight, of their, eight of their last nine wins since the season after the Jets game, uh, which wasn't even as easy as people thought. Though the score looked uh, stronger at the end, their win margin is four points per game, so they are cutting it awfully awfully close almost every game. And their last they haven't covered a game at home in a long since the Jets game either. And it hasn't been like a, a, a murderers come in there. Carolina, Denver, uh, Atlanta, all covered and could have won. Uh, they didn't, but they certainly covered. And the Browns covered the last week. Um, so yeah, I know Mahomes was out at the end of the game, but you know it's been a long time. It's been since the day after Halloween was the last time the Chiefs covered a point. I think that's uh, significant, and it might have something to do with the number being a little lower than a lot of people expect this week. I got to tell you, the guy that could be the difference maker for the Chiefs, and we talk about Mahomes and all the guys, I'm telling you, for me, as a, a guy that watches the Bills very closely, there's a guy 
and Josh Allen had best beware and know where the honey badger is at all times. How good is this guy, Bruce? Yeah, and he's, been, he's a playmaker. You saw him make a big play last week off of uh, Baker Mayfield, though. That That's where I thought that game turned around because the Chiefs didn't actually score on that uh, drive, but he certainly put them in position to. And just, just a, a very uh, typical honey badger play, sneaking up out of nowhere and, and stepping in front for an interception. He can also make things happen after he makes the catch. So, um, you know, he's obviously a big difference maker in the Kansas City secondary. And you're right. He's a guy that Josh Allen has to be aware of all the time. What do you make of – see, if, if something's going to catch up to the Bills, and I've said this all along, and they've been able to buck the trend so far, and they played two dicey games with the Colts and with the Ravens, they went the entire first half and never ran the ball in bad weather. At some point, especially if they have the lead and want to close the game out somehow, some way, they've got to get they got to get Singletary going here. But I think the one thing I would watch very much to be a factor in this game, or at least part of the Bills' game plan, will be Allen using his feet. There's no tomorrow that all that cliche stuff, and you don't worry about uh, sliding or going down at this stage. I think quarterback draws. Allen in the red zone using his feet is going to be a very, very big component of the game, not just by his scrambling, but I mean Dayball dialing it up as part of the game plan. Oh, I quite agree uh, very much. I think uh, Dayball, especially the uh, uh, Ravens game last week when it looked like uh, Mike Leach was coordinating uh, the offense uh, against the Ravens, but I, you know that was what he wanted to do. Allen, your guy, and uh, uh, let's just let him do it for you. And um, you know, the it wasn't a huge explosion last week of points, but the, you know the Bills also uh, it was windy. They missed a field goal in the first half and later in the game too. Uh, I wouldn't expect them to do that again this week, but the fact that Dable has done that gives Kansas City something else to think about. But it's also uh, affirming all that the confidence they have in uh, Allen, who has come a long way here into his third year and uh, now is, is absolutely the guy who could win, win a game for the Bills in the playoffs. Is this a fair analogy? And you know, if you're out there listening, don't drive off the road because I know about Hill and I know about Kelsey. But stylistically, the way the Bills have been built, Kansas City – their defense has got to be sitting there going, we're looking at ourselves in the mirror. Uh, you know, the running game has its moments, but it's not electric. But from a wide receiver perspective, you've got Diggs' emergence with Brown. Beasley moves the chains as good as anybody. He is the third down weapon, which is the key, because you can't cover him. And he consistently moves the sticks for them. But you throw a Gabriel Davis into the mix, and Isaiah McKenzie can step in. And Dawson Knox is an athletic tight end. He's not Kelsey, but he's along. He plays the same kind of style, uh, maybe a, a touch faster than Kelsey. But in terms of the weapons and the way they spread out, Buffalo's built almost in a mirror image of Kansas City. Yeah, and and Diggs really gave them that downfield threat that they uh, that really able to stretch the field with him. And again, back to game. I want to beat this horse to death about the mid-October game, but um, confirming that Allen's arm wasn't right. Uh, Diggs caught eight passes in the first meeting for 46 yards, uh, about 
a little less than six yards per catch. Uh, that is not Diggs. I mean, he's a deep downfield threat, and that is what changed the Bills' offense. And they really didn't have that working for them in the first game because of Allen and his arm, his shoulder problems. Then, so uh, I expect Diggs to be much more of a factor in this game. You know, and I'm, I'm just one more time going back to that first game. I'm just checking real quick if I can find the time of possession. That was the lowest game in terms of Diggs, you know, receiving yards. But possession-wise, the Chiefs had the ball the whole game. And that, that was the crazy thing. You know, the, they only, the Chiefs, as, as phenomenal as that offense is, had the ball the whole game and only put up 26, which is just ordinary for them. Well, they ran for 245, and, and the Bills, there is something here. I mean, they, they, they were really defending against Mahomes, beating them through the air in that game, and Andy Reid ran at them. So they're going to have to figure out if uh, do something a little different defensively. Now, Edward Solaire had a big game, uh, yep. 161, uh, but he's hurting now. So it might have, it was Williams last week for the Chiefs, a little bit of levy on Bell. Uh, but I don't expect them to run for 245 either in this rematch, and I don't expect uh, uh, Diggs to only have 46 yards of catches right. the other way either. So it, it'll well, I found different. it. I found it. It took a while. Time of possession in that game, Bruce. The Chiefs had the ball 37 minutes and 45 seconds. Uh, they had the ball 15 and a half minutes longer than the Bills did. I mean, that's bizarre in a football game. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of things about that game. I, I think will not repeat. I uh, uh, give it the old, give it the old chug. It's gonna be great. It's gonna be a great weekend of football. Bruce, tell them about the gold sheet and all the great information. Yeah, thanks, Brian. Text out onlinegoldsheet.com. You can read out our previews for these two games, and also uh, a little story I have a review about that 1966 season, the first Super Bowl, and how those championship games went. Also, every day now we're doing basketball at the Gold Sheet, and that's very well received, this new hoops format. Goldsheet.com, you got my picks up there. I'm also up at Vegas Insider and DotBest.com. I hope it's a great championship game. Hey, I hope it's overtime. I just hope it doesn't end like uh, Ed Podolak running it in. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, Bruce, always a pleasure, buddy. It's fantastic information. He's uh, just a, a fount of information, one of our dear friends. All right, we're not done. We'll put a lid on this first hour of Sportsbook Radio. Hour number two, Jeff Sherman, Mark Lawrence, still to come. Thanks for joining us. Keep it right here. Sportsbook Radio on the Sports Grid Radio Network, Series Channel 204. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Right, wrapping up hour number one of Sportsbook Radio in Las Vegas. Brian Blessing, glad to be with you. Thought we'd just take a, an interesting little look ahead as we've documented a lot about the championship games that are coming up this weekend. The current lines, Green Bay minus three, minus 20 is a consensus number. The minus 20 is a tipping point that if anything, the game could go through three to three and a half. Total on the game is 51. The Chiefs game... The consensus is minus three even money, and the total on the game is 53 and a half. 
outside chance, I think a lot of money comes in on the Packers. Then um, I think when we get to the weekend and they see the weather forecast, you know, that could be pretty compelling. But what's interesting is I think we could take a little look ahead to projected Super Bowl numbers that are actually out and available to wager on. So let's go to it. If it's the Chiefs and the Packers, the two favorites playing, the Chiefs would be a one-and-a-half-point favorite. The total would be 57, insane total for a Super Bowl. Can you imagine that game, of course, we played in Tampa? If it's the Chiefs and the Bucks, the Chiefs are a field goal favorite, total a point-and-a-half less at 55-and-a-half. If the Bills pull off the win at Arrowhead Stadium and they were to play the Packers, Green Bay would be a one-point favorite. The total on the game, 55. And if it's the two road dogs winning, the Bills and the Bucks, the game would be a pick, and the total on that contest would be 54. And the funny thing is, it's like what we talk about all year long. You get those advanced lines. So there's an actual chance if you've got an opinion and who you think is going to win this thing, but the, pending the result of the games this Sunday and the way one of these teams wins, those numbers could be skewed. But basically what we're talking about is a very competitive Super Bowl. The games are going to be, no matter who's playing, inside a field goal would would be the favorite. Going to be a monster handle, and I think the final four is a pretty cool collection of football teams. And either way, we're going to have a great Super Bowl matchup. All right, we got another hour still to come. Don't go anywhere. Jeff Sherman from the Superbook is coming up. Mark Lawrence, we've got a lot on the plate for you. Sportsbook Radio, Series 204, and the Sports Grid Radio Network.